course, Simon and Joy here again for another Pastor Conversation, a little virtual coffee hour. Uh, part of why we're doing this on our podcast feed is because we've missed the opportunities to be out in the garden court, usually mm. after church on Sunday, to say, hey, wanted to ask you a follow-up question, or here's a thought, or let me educate you a little bit more. I think for each of us as preachers, we have a, uh, what, what Joy likes to call a graveyard of ideas, of mm -hmm. things that we could have preached on, and so there's often more wisdom to, to bring forth and good conversation to have. So we want you to know that in the office together, we are having lively, good conversations about these things, and we thought oh, yeah. we'd turn the mic on and uh, give you an opportunity to hear some of them. So uh, topic today for the pastor conversation is just this idea of Advent and exile, mm -hmm. Old Testament prophets and prophecy. How do we sort of understand that? So uh, Joy uh, has been sort of the architect of this Advent in exile and uh, the decorations and the sanctuary and all that kind of stuff. Um, Joy, why why Advent in exile this year and and uh, how has this process been preaching through these texts in Isaiah for you? Hmm. Well, I, I started thinking about Advent, I think in August, and I was thinking about what would be a a sermon series that would be appropriate to where we are now, and I really went through a lot of ideas, but I kind of landed in in Isaiah, and I was looking at adapting some work that uh, has been done by other people, but I don't remember how the theme Advent in Exile came to me, but the, the middle section of Isaiah is addressed to the Babylonian exiles or the Jewish exiles in Babylon, and I mean, certainly we are not in nearly as grave and dire a situation. Uh, it, it would be really uh, historically incorrect for, for me to make that analogous. But I do think that maybe now, more than, than other times in our lives, we might be able to understand a bit more or identify a bit more with a feeling and experience of exile. So it seemed like a, a good analogous experience to kind of dive into. Sometimes Isaiah is called the fifth gospel, which makes it appropriate. And often we read sections from Isaiah in the lectionary during Advent as it is. Uh, sections from Isaiah are in the, the Messiah by Handel. And so uh, I wanted to go with that, but most of the passages we're preaching on this series are not usually the Isaiah passages we hear at Advent. Yes. Yeah, all the texts are from I, second Isaiah. So mm -hmm. just, uh, and I'm not saying that I'm adequate to give the full history here. There are <laughs> scholars who give their entire careers to studying Isaiah and the mm -hmm. composition of it. But most scholars uh, look at the book of Isaiah and say, this is not the way that we think about, uh, let's say, Paul writing to Timothy, a letter to Timothy, where here's a person who's writing to a person. But that Isaiah is a, is a collection of of prophetic words and stories and poems that come from the life of Isaiah and his followers and prophets who were um, in his school, if you will, that span over several, uh, well, at least a few hundred years, uh, which is why we don't think of Isaiah as just one solid writer who lived an extraordinarily long life. It's broken into three different sections, first, second, and third Isaiah. And all the texts that we have come from second Isaiah, which tend to be more text that we would look at in Lent, mm -hmm. uh, the text of the suffering servant. First Isaiah is where we get uh, words about the virgin birth and, and so on and so forth. Here we are in second Isaiah. So why, why second Isaiah? Well, first, first Isaiah is addressed to the God's people while they're still living in Israel, still living in Jerusalem, and it's words of warning, like 
you better watch it or, or this or, is going to happen, right? And one of the things to, to take notice about the prophets is they don't really say new things. They say old things in new ways. So the prophets are repeating the words of warning that God gave his people when he made promises with them in the covenants. And so they're reiterating in new ways, but the same thing, if you do this, then this will happen. Yeah. And so that's first Isaiah. And then second Isaiah, which begins with the, the verses, comfort, comfort, my people, um, is God speaking to the Israelites once they have been deported and are in Babylon as probably slaves, um, definitely much more of a refugee experience. The language di is different. And, and one of the reasons uh, we understand that the Babylonians would uh, take a whole nation, people from it, and some people were left in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem, but they would take them was really to take away their own culture, their own religious identity, so that they would be able to assimilate with the Babylonian culture. So helpful for us to kind of just lay some groundwork on who are the biblical prophets? What's the job of a biblical prophet? And I, I preached on this yesterday um, a little bit, just that I've seen uh, some confusion in our church and in other churches of what the role of the Old Testament prophets is. Um, my concern is that sometimes we can read them like a manual, that this fits together with this and it makes this. Um, rather than its own sort of genre of literature. So if someone were to come and ask either one of you, um, why do we read the Old Testament prophets? What's the role of Old Testament prophets? What's your, what's your answer? And I know that we have not smithed this together, just so everybody knows, we're, this is a genuine conversation. Mm -hmm. So we may have to push back on one another in some of our language here, but what, what, would, you, what would you say then? Uh, I would say there's, there's a longing that the Old Testament ends with that's unfulfilled. Uh, and I've talked to Jewish friends about this as well, just that resonance that there's something that is longing. It's not even just unfulfilled. It's like they're longing for. Um, it's as if the, the covenant between God and his people is really unsustainable because of our sinfulness. And so in, in the end, there is this longing for God to break in in a special way. Now, in their interpretation, it was to bring their uh, land and their politics back together. That's mm -hmm. kind of the most basic interpretation. Uh, but to recognize they really need a reconciliation of the heart. And so mm -hmm. there is a, a pointing towards and a longing towards the fulfillment of Christ um, that I think is important for us to read. And, and if we do what you're suggesting, what you know, once suggested, which is like a kind of proof texting, like, well, this was in you know, the Gospels and it points back to, then you're really only reading like 0.01% of, of all of it. Yes. But it's actually so beautifully written uh, it's important to soak in. And I know I've, it's both intimidating, like the uh, just reading Isaiah, it's very intimidating reading. Uh, so it's not as natural as like the, the narratives of the gospel, but it's beautifully written once you get into the rhythm of it. It's mm -hmm. gorgeous. Yeah. Well, that's why I like to emphasize the poetry of prophecy. And um, I, I, I think in our culture, we're really not a very poetic culture for the most part. I mean, I don't know how many, how many of you would regularly sit down with a book of poems. Um, but... But poetry is, is a linguistic way of painting a picture. And um, even, even in the Hebrew sounds in the poems, you, you can kind of hear the sound, right? We know how a poem sounds with certain rhyme and meter. Um, one, one reason it's poetry is because that's easier to remember 
because that sticks in your yeah. mind. In the yeah. original language, it's easier to remember. Um, and, and that's and why it works so well to be set to music, too. Right, yeah. right. And then it uses, of course, evocative language and, and simile and metaphor and um, contrast and sometimes very, very bold, uh, it, sometimes perhaps exaggerated language. But it's to, it's to paint a picture. I think one reason we have the prophets is to tell us about God, yeah. tell us about who God is, the character of God. Um, I, was, I was looking to prepare for this conversation at a book I just have known for years, and I go back to it a lot. It's uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart's book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. The, the, the chapter on I prophecy is great. Yeah, right. So whether you've read the Bible for a long time or you just started, this is a really great book to just go to and then keep on going back to because it teaches you how to read. Uh, the Bible is a unified book, but it uses different genres, different types of literature. So the way you read a narrative or the way you read a, an epistle is different from how you read a prophetic poem. And um, they, they, they describe the, the prophet's role as enforcing the covenant in Israel. So the, the prophet, the individual prophet will say, hey, you guys, don't you remember God's promises? God said if you worship other gods, you'd have to leave the land and there would be diseases and all these bad things would happen. And sometimes people listened, but mostly they didn't. Yeah. It's a poetic I told you so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, if I can nuance that to you, I had a conversation with my, my professor, my, my own rabbi, Klein Snodgrass, last week um, in preparation and just said, hey, what would you say to people who get really fascinated with biblical prophecy and this sort of reading it like a manual, this one-to-one -one sort of thing, and okay, now that's done? He would say, I don't think they understand what a prophet is then. Because a prophet's job, I think his words were, to have, un uh, to have emotional confrontations about how bad things are. <laughs> um, and I think that go both goes to the larger society around us, right? How the society is strayed from God, but also what's going on in our own hearts. And we see that repeatedly in Isaiah, where uh, Isaiah does not, uh, throughout, especially the, uh, Isaiah 2, second Isaiah, does not say the problem is outside of you. Mm -hmm. God's going to take care of those enemies. He's going, uh, the problem's inside of you. It's, it's this, man, this man of sorrows in Isaiah 53. Um, uh, by his wounds, we are healed. Uh, what's the healing? It's our transgressions. It's our mm -hmm. sin. It's our... It's our brokenness. I think one of the greatest cases for the continual reading of prophecy and doing what we're doing in this Advent season of, of having this be uh, guiding us through the Advent season, even though some of these aren't traditional Advent texts, is because the early church, like you said, Joy, they, they read Isaiah like it was a fifth gospel. They would even refer to it as a fifth gospel, meaning so much of what we understand about Jesus now and the person of Jesus, uh, those themes are all in Isaiah. The idea of, of sin and redemption and reconciliation and suffering um, and glory, those are all part of the, part of the Isaiah, Isaiah narrative. So it's important for us to read them. And I think that that's where this idea of Advent and exile really works because I think the early church fathers, you know, uh, second, third century who were reading, even up through the second and third century who were reading this were going, we feel deep resonance under Roman occupation in the same way that the Israelites felt in exile in, in Babylon. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's one of my questions, uh, is, is what, are the, what are the points of, of sort of resonance for us? Mm -hmm. um, Joy, you said this, we're certainly in a better situation than the Israelites were. Mm -hmm. What are the points of resonance for us? Well, I think um, 
What does it look like to live in, to be in exile in a kingdom that you don't, that isn't the best for us as followers of God? Um, and I, I think even after Pastor Lars, your, your sermon series in November, this followed very naturally. But one thing that I think it's easy for us to become either overly complacent or overly angry is, you know, what is our national identity as Christians? And we can have a lot of strong emotions about that uh, and, and strong opinions and even convictions. But the truth is, as Christians, no matter where we live, and this is, Peter picks this up in his epistles, that we are exiles mm-hmm. because our citizenship is as as uh, citizens of the kingdom of God that Jesus established. And so um, I'm not saying become an anarchist or anything like that, but but our true identity as citizens really is, is an identity as a citizen of the kingdom of God. So wherever a Christian lives today, anywhere, wherever we live, we will live as exiles. And that's what Peter does when he writes to these Gentile churches, he calls them exiles. Well, that's weird because that was for Jewish people in Babylon. But he's, he's drawing that line and saying, no, really where you live now because you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, you're in exile. And that is true for us too. Yeah. Um, so then, then what does it mean to live as exiles where we are? And I'm going to get into that on January 3rd. Great. But so that's something. And I think this year, you know, with the stay-at-home order, uh, with people being sick or afraid for their health. I, I think uh, there might be a sense of uh, somewhat being a political exile, like I don't fit in anywhere here. Mm-hmm. And that might be uncomfortable, but it also might be good because it might help us to recognize that our true home is, is in Christ. Yeah. And that really what we have in common with a Christian living in Malaysia or the UK or China is really a kinship in Christ that draws us together far more than anyone else that shares the same nationality. Yeah. Simon, anything to add on that idea of sort of exile and its resonance with us or with the church or with you personally? Um, I was gonna comment, I really enjoyed the visuals here and I've been uh, hoping, especially if you've been watching on live stream, which I've done the last uh, week um, or two weeks, I wanted people to be able to come in, so if you have been watching on live stream, if you feel comfortable even coming in during the week and just walking around through the sanctuary, you're going to find all the decorations were, were handmade, mm-hmm. and they, they look great on screen, but you don't realize they're actually made out of newspaper and sticks and twine. Um, the, and, the Christmas tree is from the Larson's backyard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's just this wonderful <laughs> contrast to, you know, we normally think of pulling out the best of the best, you know, to celebrate the holidays, but here we have such a, a, a humility uh, in this beautiful sanctuary with, you know, cut ribbons uh, and twine. So it's really a beautiful uh, metaphor, too, of just that reminder that we're not, we're not home yet. We're doing the best we can, hmm. uh, but we're not loving where we are. Uh, we long for the fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven, which will be ours, uh, just as certainly as Christ came, he will return. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, as we all feel, I think we've been in a season of longing, right? So yeah. we feel that. Okay, uh, maybe last question, unless you are thinking of a question I'm not. So we're reading the book of Isaiah, let's say, or any of the, any of the prophets, really. You can, um, particularly those of the exiles, I think of Jeremiah and, and uh, Ezekiel and Daniel and uh, maybe, maybe the major prophets, uh, some of the minor prophets doing different things, right? Uh, 
But at least with the major prophets, there's this, there's a way to read those Christocentrically, right? With Jesus as sort of the ultimate fulfillment of that. We were talking a little bit beforehand that I'm trying to steer away from the language of fulfillment, though it's true. Because uh, ultimately, all scripture is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the center of God's word. That's why the prologue of John calls him the word, right? He's the fulfillment of those things. How do we avoid, or, or what's the right, right way for us, even devotionally, to read the prophets so it's not going, well, Jesus fulfilled that, and so that, that scripture is done now. Um, what's the best way for us to approach just devotionally reading the prophets to be blessed by them? Well, I always uh, advocate. Um, I always advocate reading any part of the scripture, understanding the whole narrative, right? So, if you understand the whole narrative, you understand that that section of prophecy is is like the heart that sets us up to receive the gift of Christ fulfillment in the Gospels. And I think mm -hmm. so often we're afraid of that kind of longing. Uh, prophets are usually also the kind of people you might want to punch in the mouth <laughs> because they're so bold, uh, especially at a time of exile. They're so bold at declaring the goodness and authority of God. And it, it's almost annoying. And so I think that's so important for us even now in this age where, you know, we can start to compromise in our thoughts about, you know, as we talked about last month, the idolatry of government, the idolatry of, of medicine, uh, the idolatry of so many different things. Mm -hmm. And yet you get these, these prophets, which I think is a necessary voice of God that we need to hear that calls us back under the authority of a strong and powerful God who is still reigning and in control. Yes. That's the story. Joy, anything to add? Yeah, thanks, thanks Simon. I, um, I, I don't have anything to push back about that. Uh, I, I read the prophets devotionally quite a bit. And I guess I kind of go like, God, what do you want to teach me about yourself in this? Mm -hmm. Right, so, and, and I focus on that in these messages, right? What does this tell us about the character of God? That he does get angry, but his anger lasts for a moment and his favor is, is eternal, right? So, and that those are things about God that we need to just be reminded of over and over again. Um, so that would be one approach, like, God, what do you want to teach me about yourself? Uh, sometimes there's this uh, mistaken idea that the Old Testament and the New Testament God are different. Um, that, that, that's not true. That's actually a heresy. It's the same God. Um, but when you read the prophets, it's really hard to keep believing that. Yeah. Because you do see this huge diversity of God's emotion. I mean, God, God isn't, I mean, we, God is the same. God doesn't change. But at the same time, God is full of diverse emotional responses to his people. Yeah. And that can when we respond like that, it's because we love, and that mm -hmm. comes from God's love. So um, I, I think see, read the prophets with a desire to know God better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I always think the, the, the power of God's grace is made so much more full when we understand the depth of his wrath and anger, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. that, that makes his grace so much sweeter and so much mm -hmm. more wonderful. Right. Yeah. I think the idea of... Um, you know, these texts do find their climax in Jesus, but not their conclusion. Um, when we read a text like we read this last Sunday on Isaiah 53, it should make us go, 
it should make us in awe of the sovereignty of God, mm -hmm. right? And the way in which, as N.T. Wright puts it, Jesus constitutes the nation of Israel under his own leadership to mm -hmm. ridiculous lengths, you know, even to going, wow, that little clause in Isaiah 53, Jesus, Jesus embodied that, right? Mm -hmm. I almost said fulfilled. Jesus embodied that. Uh, he did fulfill it, but embodied that. Uh, but to also go that these texts aren't concluded in that, but Jesus then becomes the lens through which we can begin to explore these texts again in their own mm -hmm. context. And I think your idea of the larger narrative is not just based on the narrative of sixth century Israel right. uh, that's in Babylon. It's also the larger narrative of God's work in the world, which mm -hmm. is always going to have Jesus on the throne. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. One, one more thought about uh, exile. And um, N.T. Wright, the, the, the New Testament studies uh, the eminent New Testament guy, scholar. right? New Testament studies guy. One of the things that he he uh, states uh, and has advocated for is that really the exile didn't end until Jesus, mm -hmm. right? So Jesus becomes Israel, and that speaks to that. Yes. The Old Testament leaves us still in that right. longing. Because they, it's, they, they, have they, a, they are allowed to return to the land, but they're disaffected. They're going, this is not what we expected. And the presence of God hasn't come back to That's the temple. Right. Exactly. And so Jesus, in his journeys in the Gospels, he is, re, he is journeying as Israel, and he is doing, he is being a light to the nations in a way that Israel never could. Mm -hmm. And so it's only through Jesus that we are able to return from exile. So we live in a paradox as, as Christians, we're citizens of God's kingdom here on the earth that God created good, but it's been corrupted, but God will redeem and restore. Yeah. Um, but also, for those who don't know Christ, there is a sense of exile from God, mm -hmm. but it's through Jesus we are able to return home to God. Mm -hmm. So the language of exile is actually um, really helpful language in evangelism, mm -hmm. um, because I and there's many different ways to talk to Jesus, people about their need for Jesus, but I think that in this longing that I, I think is indicative of a postmodern, post-Christian world, right? A deep spiritual longing that people might not even have the words for. There might be a sense of longing to go home, and I think yeah. that longing for home is a longing for God. Yeah. So that's, that's my hope for, like, what does it look like to to think of ourselves as exiles and two kinds of exiles, but really our, our home can be only found in God yeah. through Christ who brings us home. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, I think about the uh, spiritual conversations I've had with people and one of the powerful questions that I'll sometimes ask is, okay, you know, assessment sort of of your life and where you're at and then go, is that working for you? Mm -hmm. And over and over again, people will go, no. I'm still restless. Mm -hmm. There's still longing here. Um, and, and maybe that is not an open opportunity to go, well, that's because you're in exile. Let me explain that to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any other final words on prophecy, Advent, and exile? What are, we, what are we preaching about on the 27th and the 3rd So as we continue with Isaiah? Yeah, I'm excited to get back up on the 27th. And we're going to be talking about the, the power of God to know that he is above all things uh, and that he's also invested. So it's not just he's ruling and reigning from above and mm. you know, uh, we're down here suffering. He, he actually is always willing to get involved and invested mm. and empowered. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about the it. transcendence the and the event. imminence of God. Yeah, right? exactly. Mm-hmm. Great. Yep. What mm-hmm. a great yeah. Christmas text that is. Right. Yep. Joy- That's a single service, of course, on the 27th. But 10 o'clock. Yep. 10 o'clock on the 27th. Yep. Um, on the third, I, I might deviate from Isaiah, but and look at some other uh, instructions. So what does it look like to live as an exile? Um, but not just an exile, because there's different ways we can we can think of exile. We can be like angry exiles, or or we can just be visiting exiles. But what does it look like to live as exiles who are ambassadors? Mm. What is the church and our homes as the embassy of Christ? Uh, so that's what I'm going to be diving into. Cool. Well, stay tuned for that. Uh, Advent and Christmas blessings to all of you and. Uh, if we don't say it enough here, clearly, we would love to have conversations with you as you're engaging with the text, engaging with our sermons, engaging with the worship here and other resources. Um, if you want help uh, in how to read the Bible, we have resources for you. And that's one of our great joys is to come alongside and say, hey, let's read together. Let's give you the resources that you can really be reading well. So thanks for tracking with us. Joy, Simon, thanks for the good conversation. Merry Christmas. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye, folks. Bye.